Uwe Ellinghouse is the Chief Marketing Officer of Cadillac, a position he took over at the beginning of the biggest transformation in Cadillac's 115-year history. Under Uwe's leadership, Cadillac moved its headquarters from Detroit to New York City and revamped their communications to change the perception of luxury consumers and to increase the number of young luxury consumers around the globe. To learn more about Uwe's work as the CMO of Cadillac, Ivy hosted an Ideas Night in New York. In a live conversation moderated by Ivy's co-founder, Barry Merrick, Uwe informs us how to create and market world-class products and services to appeal to the next generation of consumers around the world. Please enjoy our conversation with Uwe Ellinghaus. You're listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the Grad School for Life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at so many different questions to dive into, but to get everybody a good perspective of where you're coming from, mm-hmm. it'd be great if you could tell us your journey. How did you get to be the chief marketing officer of such an iconic brand? Yeah, um, good question. I don't want to talk for 25 minutes about my life. Um, no worries. So I'll be quick. Um, I, um, I'm a business major. I uh, made my master's degree. As I always say, like all Germans, I was born with a PhD. Um, (laughs) I wasn't born, but I acquired one. Uh, But don't be too impressed. Um, Everybody seems to have one in Germany in these days. And um, then I uh, wanted to go to consulting, actually. I had no desire to go to marketing in particular. And uh, I interviewed at all the big consulting companies. And The interviews were okay, but after every single interview, I left and thought to myself, do you want to drink a beer with any of these people after work? And got to the conclusion, no, I do not. (laughs) So I decided maybe I am wrong in consulting. And then um, BMW was looking for uh, people for in-house consulting. And I thought, that's probably a nice idea. I do consulting, but not for one of these consulting companies. So that's how I entered BMW. I um, stayed 15 years there, even longer than they told you. Um, And yeah, I ended up as their uh, chief marketing officer, which is a great job and there's nothing wrong with it. And I certainly could have done this job for many years out, but I'm also an incredibly curious person and I always want to learn and grow just like you guys. And I uh, got promoted very early in my career. And one day I was thinking, okay, Uwe, if you now stay here, you might retire here. Nothing wrong, but I still fancied a little bit of uh, an adventure and decided maybe I look for pastures new. And we are a headhunter, uh, sorry, an executive search company, of course. I got uh, in contact with uh, Mont Blanc and I thought, well, that's another iconic brand for sure. And I liked the idea to also help them to let's say, become a contemporary luxury brand. And 
I had a very short but good time there, but it's also fair to say that there are a couple of things where I wasn't necessarily of the opinion that we will see a renaissance of the fountain pen as a symbol of power. This is what <laughs> they were hoping for. Uh, and I was thinking, guys, what are you smoking? In the age cohort that's following mine, nobody writes any longer. So how can a fountain, a fountain pen be a symbol of power again? I just don't get it. Well, it has a reason that I ended up at General Motors, right? So I decided to maybe leave because I suggested that we could produce beautiful soft leather covers for iPads instead. And they thought that's a bit nuts. And that's why finally, believe it or not, I got again a call from a headhunter saying, can you imagine working for another automotive manufacturer? And I said, yes, provided it's a passion brand. And the reply was, what is a passion brand? And I was thinking, okay, it's a headhunter. Um, how do I translate this? And I said, you know what? It's a brand that has a point of view, not necessarily a brand that is big, that everybody likes, but it should be a brand that doesn't leave people cold. They either love it or hate it. BMW is a passion brand as well, such as Mont Blanc. So this is the commonality between all three. And when they said to me, Cadillac is looking for a new global chief marketing officer, I thought, yes, um, how cool is that? If I get this job halfway right, I can probably have all marketing jobs in the world. Not that I want them after this job, but um, I find it so intriguing to revitalize this once iconic brand. And as I always tell the press, uh, I have a list in my office of all the songs that feature Cadillac. It's 211 songs. And I have yet to come across the first song that features BMW. That's not particularly well liked, this statement uh, among my former colleagues, but it shows that Cadillac is so much more than a brand, right? It's an American icon, it's a cultural icon, it's a design icon. And it is also the, let's say, incarnation of the American dream for a very long time. If people made it in this country, they aspired to have a Cadillac as their car. And we saw the glorious bits and we saw the huge growth of the American automotive industry. But Cadillac also then saw the decline uh, of the American luxury automotive industry. And now it's also a good proof point just how the brand and the entire company General Motors is re-energized and revitalized. And I find it an incredible time to be in automotive when so many things, how we did the business in the traditional way are no longer in place as all the disruption is now taking place. So my connecting link between all my jobs is I always worked for brands that had a point of view that some people hated and others liked. That's a good thing. It's all involvement after all. And I do admit that it is a very important job to market diapers that last longer and fit better. But I'm not sure if I can do this job because I love cars. And I always also realized what for a high involvement product a car is next to a house, right? You cannot drive a car without making a statement. Even if you don't want to, you always make one. And this creates a huge amount of emotion and passion, which is sometimes good and sometimes bad. But at least there's a hell lot of going on in my office every single day. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And you, you mentioned so brands with a point of view and you chose to 
work now at, for one of not just an iconic American brand, but one of the most iconic brands of all time. Yes. That has a point of view. But currently your motto is there greatly. Yes. And it's about change, change, moving from Detroit to New York, uh, changing a lot about the image. Yes. So how do you think about, you know, what makes a great brand and mm -hmm. how do you balance the need to stay true to the point of view and heritage mm -hmm. while also Mm -hmm. moving forward and adapting and changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question, Barry. Um, firstly, you should have a clear identity. Um, you need to ask yourself, what do you stand for? What makes you different to all your competitors? And once you've established how you want to be perceived and the values that you have as a brand, you need to translate them in everything that you do. So it all starts with the brand identity that you then translate into if this is how we want to be perceived as a bold, as an optimistic, as sophisticated American contemporary luxury brand, what does it mean for product? What does it mean for design? What does it mean for performance? What does it mean for the dealer experience? What does it mean for events, motor shows, uh, all kinds of environment? And of course, our home turf, the traditional marketing messaging. And I think a brand still needs focus, needs continuity, needs coherence, and we can learn a lot from some German brands that are very good in it. But a brand also needs to show that it goes with the times. So change is something you need to manage, but you need to do it in a way that you remain predictable. If people have the impression you reposition yourself as a brand all the time, they lose trust. You are simply not providing them with the desired attributes and values. And I also learned one thing the hard way, brands need to walk the talk. Unfortunately, people in your age, as you sit here in the audience, question authorities, which chief marketing officers hate, by the way, because <laughs> it doesn't even exclude them. But it is what it is, I accept it. And you question brands, you question companies. And if they are not walking the talk, and if they send out messages that are not credible because they as a corporation or the people behind the brand within a corporation do not live up to them themselves, it all falls apart. And this is something that is new for the automotive industry, where for a long time people focused solely on the product. And as I always say, there are no great brands without great products, but they are only the starting point. And my biggest learning is to pass on to you guys that the products become more and more homogeneous in all industries, even in good old automotive, whether it's autonomous, whether it's electromobility. But the experience that you provide for customers alongside all touch points is what actually makes the difference. And my belief in human aspiration is very, very firm. And even if one day we all have cars that are autonomous, that are having an electric drivetrain, and maybe we share them more than we do right now, we will still have customers that want a better experience, both when they are in the product and when they exchange cars, for example. And this is why not everything that made a premium brand a premium brand is necessarily uh, history, but you need to ask yourself, what are the differentiating aspects that set you apart from the competition? Because many marketing people still say our products have better quality, our cars are safer. This is all nonsense. All cars are safe because legislation is requiring us to make all cars safe. You can no longer say 
pay a higher price for a Cadillac to have a car that has a better quality, when every Chevrolet already has a quality level that is about on eye level with premium makes. So the willingness to pay more comes from some elements of the product substance and design is purchase reason number one, not just for cars, for almost all premium luxury goods. Um, and this is something we always need to remind ourselves. And then again, it is the experience that we provide. And this means for a chief marketing officer, you should spend far less time worrying about the product, but you should spend far more time worrying about the customer relationship and how you get that right. When it comes to the customer relationship, uh, what are the practical ways in which as a team you think about how to manage the experience? So once you have your brand values, you've done all that, those exercises about where you want to position yourself yes. on an ongoing basis, how do you maintain, do you constantly, for example, recommunicate yes. the vision? Yes. Are there certain exercises that are done? Mm. And how do you make sure everyone from, you know, people in your office down to the people who are working at the dealerships yes. all follow? What? It's, it's a very good point. I think um, we are simply no longer in the age where brands control their messages and their audiences and where they can dictate the way they want to communicate with their target group. Um, and it is simply for the target group or for our customers to decide which are the preferred channels. And in our industry, many, many customers prefer brand communication via email only. They are very reluctant to give away their mobile number, for example. Who wants to be bothered by a call of a sales executive, right? And also direct mail pieces and other communication. This only works today if it is personalized and individualized. And this means, unfortunately, more complexity for us to manage because we first need to know enough of our individual customers that we know what they are interested in and what the preferred channels are. And that determines our journey towards them. And then back to our first marketing lesson at university, it is unfortunately for the receiver to determine the content of the message and not the sender. So I hear all the time, but that's not what we intended to say. Hey ho. Um, but this is what the audience took out as the result. So simply acknowledge that you only get customers to interact with you as a brand if you show that the content is relevant for their individual needs and that the channels also follow their preferences. Otherwise, they reject all brand communication. And this means less mass communication, more digital, which is far more targeted. Um, but of course, ideally, more one-on-one -on -one communication, just like Ivy uh, promotes them as well. Okay, fantastic. And it, just in your journey with Cadillac so far, there have been some great changes. Can you give us, share some uh, specific examples of the biggest kind of wins that you've had, uh, branding wins, and what have been the biggest challenges? Yeah, the transformation of Cadillac is a long-term exercise. This will take easily 10 years, uh, and we are just in year four of the journey. However, we showed the world with their greatly it is a mouthful, but we live up to it and we dare greatly ourselves in, in what we do. We reach out to the next generation of luxury car buyers. And this means we simply acknowledge that the baby boomers that fueled the automotive luxury market in the US and elsewhere is an age group that 
walked away from Cadillac and uh, towards the Germans. And my hope that these elapsed buyers will come back to Cadillac is zero. But I also realize that younger customers, particularly millennials, did not grow up with a grandfather in a Cadillac. And therefore, they don't have this legacy, this baggage that is sometimes associated, particularly in my generation, I'm 48, Generation X, with Cadillac, right? Because uh, many Americans in my age really had grandfathers in Cadillacs and millennials don't. And this makes me very optimistic because in China, where nobody grew up with a grandfather in a Cadillac, so much is for sure, we, we just started there um, a couple of years ago, we have an average age of our new car buyers that is below 34 years. And this is, of course, significantly younger than in the US. And it shows me a little bit on what is possible if we have the same products, the same Dare Greatly brand communication, aligned dealer appearances, so more or less the same hardware, but it resonates so very well because there isn't any legacy and any baggage. And I will not change the view of cynical baby boomers that left their beamers to uh, pieces that a Cadillac is absolutely on eye level with their BMW. I want to build a brand for people who say, however good these BMWs, Mercedes and Audis are, suburbia is full of them. And I want a brand that is a distinctive face in the crowd and also that underlines my personality. This is more a niche positioning. We are not aiming for three million cars like the Germans do. But what we can show is that we dare to be different. We dare to have designs that are certainly bolder. We dare to pioneer with technologies like Super Cruise, where we have the first real hands-free driving system and not other brands that claim that they have it. Um, and I realize increasingly that people say, yeah, it is really amazing just how much Cadillac has changed and Cadillac House, our move to New York, we also overhauled the nomenclature of our cars um, and we also got General Motors to invest billions into future Cadillacs. We need more SUVs in particular. This all doesn't show results yet with regard to our US sales track because um, we don't have enough SUVs to combat the deterioration of the sedan segments. Younger people all walk away from sedans. Nobody wants a sedan any longer. And everybody wants an SUV or a crossover. This has been addressed. We will get them. But it's still a time period where we are limited in our growth opportunity in the US. But on the other hand, look at the fact that we grew 46% last year in China uh, to 116,000 cars at the end of the year. And we are looking at uh, almost the same growth rate for this year. So at the end of this year, for the first time in Cadillac's 115-year-old history, China is our biggest market. Back to your question, achievement. Is this an achievement? Yes, it is. Because we need the volume hub of the United States and of China. Because all the prognosis for future growth in automotive are such that China will uh, stay number one in total cars as much as in luxury. So we need to explore the potential that we have to also capitalize on all the investments made into future products. And if we rely on the US as the major market alone, this is far more difficult. Comes on top that this is a very, very price aggressive market. And therefore, for me, it's a great result that by the end of this year, we will get at least very close to our 
historical global sales peak, which was in 1978, uh, 360,000 units. And from next year onwards, we will only go from strengths to strengths with an extended portfolio and even significantly higher numbers. So it is still a little bit of bad into the future, but I think we did our homework, as you said, define your identity and translate it into guidelines. I'm a German, I need guidelines, right? <laughs> uh, for everything and obey to order, of course. Um, and this is the groundwork that we did. This also includes on having a brand theme that hopefully resonates even in an age when we are talking completely different cars, we will hopefully find ways to show that we dare greatly. So what would be your vision? Fast forward to 10 years, 15 years, what do you think uh, will be Cadillac's positioning and perception if all of your plans play out? I think that by then the um, belief that Cadillac is for older people and that we are building the couch on wheels that matures and some baby boomers still think we do because they simply can't get their heads around just how much we have changed is then irrelevant as these people um, leave the demographic table. I need to be a little careful here what I say. <laughs> um, but they simply have no chance to pass this view on to younger generations inside their family. And younger customers will hopefully see the amount of change uh, at Cadillac and they also have far less this huge appreciation for American, for certain German brands, forgive me, instead of American brands, because they grew up with Apple and many other devices that show just how globally desired and strong American brands and companies can be. But for a long time, American car brands were not necessarily associated with quality and, and some other desired attributes. And maybe for some time that was even true, right? But it's long time ago. We show already today that our product substance is on eye level with BMW, Mercedes and Audis, as, as many tests in uh, car magazines confirm. So I believe if we continue to deliver on all these promises, we will simply be accepted as a brand that is on eye level with our German arch rivals, but by no means a copycat, but rather an alternative for those that want an individual brand with a distinctive American take on luxury rather than the German engineering virtues that our competitors embody. Uh, and can you elaborate a little bit more about, so having been at BMW for 15 years and now at Cadillac many years also, uh, Mont Blanc too, but if you had to just like specify, what would you say are the competitive advantages of American brands yes. versus let's say German brands? Yeah, I'm on a dangerous territory here, but I try <laughs> to answer the question best I can. Um, firstly, I say it is not a surprise that um, Germany has some globally renowned brands, BMW certainly one of them, Siemens another one, that are very, very strong the world over and globally admired. Miele Kitchens, for example, as well. But it's also fair to say, if you look at the industries where German brands are strong, it tends to be in industries where the development cycles are long and the product life cycles seem for eternity. So take all kinds of machines, medical equipment, cars, no doubt, kitchens, uh, refrigerators, elevators. This is corporate Germany. Yeah. And they are only good in it because of 
the length of the development in the product life cycles. And Germans are very stubborn, as you all know, and I'm no exception. And in contrast to a terrier, a German doesn't let loose. And the problem is, if you follow a certain direction with a brand in its positioning, everybody follows this direction and they make decisions by committees. This is one of the biggest differences that I find, which means a committee needs to make a final decision on a product, a brand campaign, whatever it is. And if there is reason to believe that maybe a product should change because premises have changed, they cannot simply say, let's change the decision and walk towards a new decision. They need to go back to five other committees inside the same company of subordinates that firstly have to agree as the subject matter expert that indeed we have reason to believe that we should change this decision. And then they go up into the same senior management committees before a new decision will be made. And by then six to 12 months are gone. And in America, I realized while focus and continuity might not always be our biggest strong point, boy, are we good in this country in simply adapt, be flexible and agile and react with a much higher speed to a changing environment than corporate Germany can. Because you know what? I'm not even a difference here. Decision makers simply say, if we are convinced we need to change this decision, we change this today. We don't need all the subject matter experts to lean in and add their two cents if we, hopefully with the experience that we have and the majority in our jobs, are jointly of the opinion we make a new decision, right? And this is why, as I always uh, summarize it, it is for me not a surprise that Siemens is this powerhouse that is based in Munich and Google is this powerhouse that's based in Mountain View and not the other way around. I think it has a reason why German brands and companies are strong in some industries and Americans are in others like IT, software, and of course the entire digital world. But now comes my plot. <coughs> Hardware will become less relevant for cars as much as for many other industries. Software will gain in importance, whether it is connectivity, whether it's autonomous driving, it doesn't even matter. So the traditional engineering strong points that corporate Germany has when it comes to cars, combustion engines, drivetrains and all of this will be less and less relevant to differentiate because if you are no longer driving a car, you don't even need a steering wheel and we will get there at some point in time. But the software elements where corporate America is strong will gain an importance in the automotive industry. And now comes the final icing on top of the cake, the experience that people have when they interact with the car, with the car brand will make or break the customer relationship. And I just realized that America has a very, very, let's say, uh, pronounced service culture as you folks are the very opposite of the Germans. Um, you accept bad infrastructure everywhere, right? Whether it is the airports, I don't go there, the road conditions, yeah, the electric wires that still hang around in rural America everywhere. And your attitude is, Uber, this has never worked. It doesn't work and it will never work. And I say, okay, with this attitude, you are right. It will never work, right? Germans are unforgiving when it comes to infrastructure. But when it comes to service, 
you guys are the most unforgiving people in the world. And boy, if there is a bad service experience, I can tell from my own service hotlines, uh, at Cadillac, um, you go ballistic. And that's good. That's absolutely good. Because I really think younger educated customers have significantly higher expectations towards the service experience that they have whenever they interact, whether it's a telephone call, whether it's an email and the response to it, or a dealer visit, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And for me, this changes the success recipe of, let's say, premium automobiles, because what the Germans are so very good in matters less, and what America is good in matters more. And it maybe has a reason that people are so astonished that we now have the first hands-free uh, car out in the market, our top-of-the-range car, CT6, now has a system where you don't have to touch the steering wheel as long as you pay enough attention to the road. There's a little camera on the dashboard that measures if you pay enough attention, right? And my German folks cannot get their heads around how on earth is it possible that Cadillac, the brand they think doesn't even deserve to be ignored, comes with the first hands-free technology that they haven't figured out yet. Well, why is this? Maybe we spend less time on making the combustion engine even more refined and getting two more horsepowers out there and one newton meter more, but realize that in mundane driving situations that we face in American cities every single day, wouldn't it be lovely if in stop and go, the car takes over the stop, the go and the steering, and we can simply do other things while we are in a car. But because they are so hardware focused, they didn't acknowledge this early enough. And because they need ages to implement, I'm sure they work on the same solutions. But before they have them into the market, given their decision making, <laughs> we will already be leading edge in many areas, whether it's autonomous or electromobility. Got it. So for software related brands or experiences that are more to do with human interaction or technology, you think American brands have a distinct advantage Absolutely. given their service mentality? Absolutely. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.